talking about level three, remember I mentioned it right at the beginning of the show. Uh, Pope Francis returning to uh, the um, the balcony, uh, you know, to his window balcony uh, to preach. And uh, we in South Africa obviously know now because of entering level three that uh, religious gatherings of up to 50 people would be allowed. And to help us sort of understand and, and have a discussion around that is Father Anthony Egan um, with the Society of Jesus. Uh, he's, he's also um, at the, um, the Jesuit Institute, and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with him about what is actually happening and what are their thoughts around this particular issue. 27 minutes past 9 o'clock. 7.02. Talk at 9 with Gushwal Brooks. Father Anthony, as they would say, as the young ones would say, it's been a minute. I hope you're good. I'm good, thanks. Yourself, Gush? Yeah, surviving, believe me. <laughs> I think we're at a, at, a, at a survival level at at this point in time. I hope you, you, you're doing well as well? Yeah, no, it's been, it's been okay. Good we're stuff. We're all right. Look, we're we entering level three. You just heard from the good doctor, uh, Anban Pillay, that um, religious gatherings of up to 50 people will be allowed. Um, and today, funny enough, I think I was driving and I, I noticed, uh, I, and I'm, I'm not sure whether this is compliant with the current uh, regulations, it seemed that an open-air church was being set up. Uh, you know, the keyboard and the st- mic stand and, and a couple of people standing, uh, trying to st- stay warm in, in, you know, the early part of the morning. Um, but nonetheless, um, what what is the response? What is your response, especially coming from a religious background, being a priest yourself? Um, a lot of people obviously have missed out on the opportunity of going to churches, mosques, temples. What is your response to government saying, "Listen, let's let's have people give people the opportunity to to celebrate um, their religion, uh, albeit in in smaller gatherings?" Look, we took an interesting position last week, as you probably have read. We suggested that this was probably premature to to have even up, up to 50 people in a church because our argument was it was probably unsafe given that churches have very different levels of ability to maintain even the sort of the health care and safety standards that, that have been introduced, the sort of temperature measurement and distancing and everything else. And so Jesuit Institute took a rather dissenting line uh, last week from the mainstream of the Christian churches and the SACC at that point, at least, where we said we thought it was premature that we should actually hold off a bit and wait until we move to a different level or perhaps until we are more uh, prepared for the kind of social distancing we need. So that was our basic line. Mm. Our concern was primarily about healthcare, the well-being of the uh, congregation, and also the fact that, you know, from you know all the information that's been floating around, some of which may be useful and some less so, that... Church gatherings seem to be one of the places where uh, COVID-19 spread seems to be quite prolific as opposed to other things. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I listened to your colleague slash brother slash fellow uh, Jesuit, um, Father Russell uh, Pollitt, speaking to my colleague, uh, Joanne Joseph, on the afternoon drive. And I heard him express those views. And, and I, I will come out and, and say that I did WhatsApp him afterwards and say, listen, it's, it, it was so, uh, sound, it was sober, it was great commentary. But I think it's a, it's a conversation worth having anyway. 
And I think it's yeah. an important one because on the one end, Father, you would know that fundamentally for, for all religion, I can't think of a single religion that says to you, uh, lock yourself in a room by yourself and, and, and pray and that's good enough. Um, yeah. the, you know, all, all religion, all mainstream religions at the very minimum, encourage people to gather in groups go to a, an anointed building of some sorts, whether we call it a, a mosque, a church, a synagogue, a temple, uh, you know, whatever we call it, go there. That's where you're going to share in the fellowship of your religion, your belief. And, and that is where you ultimately, for lack of a better term, uh, worshiping and praising God. How then do we then justify that particular approach with what you are saying now in saying that, listen, rather stay away and be safe? Well, I mean, our, our line, I think, is simply that no religion in its right mind would say to people, put your lives at risk by coming to church or synagogue or mosque. Uh, and we would certainly say to them that, you know, we can we can still practice our faith um, to varying degrees and obviously less than perfectly mm. in a situation where where we, we can literally do it on our own or with our families or in a small community where we're at less risk of uh, contracting the COVID-19. Mm. That was our basic counter response because we felt that, you know, based on the evidence, based on what we've seen in Germany and Italy and South Korea and various places, including Bloemfontein, uh, people have actually been faced with the fact that they've contracted COVID-19 through church gatherings. Uh, and... No, no, I'm listening, I'm listening. Yeah, and in that sense, that, that kind of, of situation, I think, I don't think any, any sort of intelligent deity, and I'm presuming most of our deities are intelligent, uh, would, would want us to put our lives at risk uh, for no good reason. And I think that's one of the reasons why we took a, quite a, a strong stance and said, no, hmm. um, you know, perhaps we should wait until it's it's safer, perhaps until we've, we've worked out how we can do it properly and avoid the, the, the problem. And it's interesting to see that a number of religious communities and Christian churches and other faiths mm, mm. have taken the same line. I mean, the Muslim Judicial Council, the ZCC, so they're not, you know, these are not small players. These are, these mm, are big mm. players who have, in a sense, shared our view and said, actually, no, you know, it's probably better for the health of our, our faithful that we... Uh, we slow down, we you know, take it easy, and we wait until we are able to to do it more safely. So, Father, I mean, a lot of people would also then turn around, and I mean, it's something that I've seen popping up every now and again. Of course, we've seen uh, various, and, and maybe some of it might be fake news, but I mean, we've seen, for example, the odd meme of, of one or the other famous uh, charismatic, charismatic church leader uh, mentioning the fact that, um, you know, they are... Um, that they're missing out on tithes and, and that people aren't coming to church so they can't wait for this COVID thing to end. Um, I, I recently yeah. saw a video of, a, of another uh, famous televangelist in the US uh, supposedly blowing um, 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 COVID-19 away and, and clearly it's not worked out. But the issue, okay. the, the, the issue that stands out for me, you know, interestingly, is that a lot of 
religion would tell us at this point in time that it's faith that drives you. So, for example, illness, um, uh, calamity and that type of thing should not be keeping you away from church, but rather should be bringing you to church in an effort to, say, pray away uh, this, this, this melody that has affected humankind. Now, as an ethicist, especially as one from a religious perspective, how do we deal with this issue? Okay, I think there are a number of things. Let's start with the question of tithe and 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 money, because it's the thing that nobody talks about, but <laughs> I think behind everyone's minds. Um, yes, and I think I think we mustn't be sarcastic and cynical and say, oh, you know, these church people are into into getting money. Any religious institution, any church, any community has to keep its overheads. It has to keep the cost of building going. It has to pay Mm -hmm. salaries and things like that. So there's obviously a financial problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we have to just say, okay, we have to find a balance between how we can try and support particularly the ministers and, and also those who work for the church and on the other hand, not put the congregation at risk by saying, come back to church and bring your checkbooks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one, one balance we have to recognize and maintain. Um, and, you know, it's, it's well enough and good enough for people who are in churches where, you know, the, the bank balance is good and we can actually sit this thing out mm. to say, you know, don't, 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 don't come back to church, whereas... You know, other churches where they're on very sort of tight budget, they go. You know, if we if we if we're out another week or two, we're we're going to go broke. So I, I recognise that, but I think at the end of the day, we have to make a balance between that kind of cost, which hopefully we can, in a sense, recoup and that we can somehow, in a sense, rebuild the economy of the church and i mean i'm not saying that in any cynical sense yeah no no Uh, and on the other hand and on the other hand you know the risk of actually putting our congregation's life at risk uh that's that's the one aspect that you raised um the other aspect about the whole question of coming to church and praying it away um well i think certainly within the catholic tradition um particularly since Galileo, we've developed a far more sophisticated understanding of the relationship between religion and science. And we don't see the one as a rival of the other. And we would rather try and find ways of working with each other because, in a sense, it's it's two different languages that we are using, the faith language and science language. And if we imagine that, you know, if we all come back and pray hard enough, it will go away. I think that's a very naive understanding of faith and science. So what we really have to do as a church, as a religious community, is to say keep praying for those who are involved in the in the work of trying to find a cure for COVID nineteen. Mm. Rather than trying to say we we've got the answer, we'll pray and and, and, and you know we'll We'll pray it away. And, and I think that's quite an arrogant attitude because it assumes that God listens to our instructions. And uh, I think the history of religions and the history of, of the world tells us, tells us that God doesn't do that mm-hmm. too often. So what I would rather say to people who feel that, you know, it's a, it's a lack of faith that, that keeps us away from, from church at this time is to say, actually, no, it's an attempt to try and understand the best thing our faith can do 
and and I see it the best the best way we can engage our faith at this time is to actually say to to people at home pray for the scientists pray for the doctors pray for the researchers pray pray for the people who are putting their lives on the line literally doing research mm. and trying to find a way of curing this disease and not contributing to greater harm and damage by putting ourselves at risk and then becoming more statistics, more patients that the doctors have to treat. So in a sense, we are, we are collaborating with God, who is in a sense working with the doctors and the scientists mm, who mm. in their way are doing the job. That, and that's my sense of it. No, and I think it's a it's a it's a measured, it's a beautiful, you know, it makes it's make makes absolutely beautiful sense um in your description of, of, of how this makes sense and why we need to behave ourselves in that particular way at the stage by rather staying away and protecting each other. Um and, and as you said, uh, basically doing God's word uh, work through through your 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 prayer your personal prayer away from others and protecting them from either yourself or you even maybe protecting yourself from uh, being harmed as a result of COVID-19. As a final question for you, Father, I mean, the one thing that stands out is that, you know, there, there's in as much as religion is a spiritual journey, it's a journey of the spirit, it's something that we do spiritually, ultimately it is dependent on certain physical acts of affirmation, number one, number two, um, in other instances, it's also dependent on, um, you know, being present and around other people. And, and this, you know, it, 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 I think it stretches across most religions. And a lot of uh, people just simply call it, in short, fellowship, some form of fellowship. How then do we, in this period, now that people aren't able to share in that fellowship, now that people aren't able to participate um, in that sharing or that, that physical um, moment, that, that physical act of religion, how then do they substitute it at this particular point in time? Well, I mean, it strikes me that we need to take the example of some historical circumstances where the practice of faith, public practice of faith was impossible. Um, I think, for example, of Christians in Japan for about 200 years, when Christianity was suppressed until the 19th century, where people gathered together in their families and prayed together and remembered the, the Christian faith that was handed on to them by missionaries who were later all destroyed. Uh, and for us who aren't in that situation, perhaps one of the great uh, challenges is to see ourselves as not simply, you know, Christians and members of Christian communities by the mere physical presence of bodies in a building, but a kind of spiritual presence of Christians who are united to each other, uh, even those we don't know, uh, those who have gone before us and those who will come after us. So in a sense, the whole idea of this community of faith that exists much broader than, than the, the, the physical Christians in any community or parish. And in a sense, when we pray as mm. individuals, on our own, in our own places, in our flats, in our houses, in, in some cases in our small religious communities, if we are members of religious orders and things like that. We aren't just praying for ourselves, we aren't just praying for, for, for that particular community that is there or the people around us, 
We are praying and uniting our prayers with all Christian believers, and I would argue all people of faith who share this desire that God will, will heal us and renew us. And that, I think, is in a sense the church or the religious community that we need to be, in a sense, promoting and building at this time, because we can't be involved in the kind of physical presence of a church or a mosque or a synagogue. Well, Father, as I said, very measured, a very thoughtful, I think a very considered view coming through from you on this one. Thank you so much for that. Um, my difficulty, I think, at this stage is, and, and this is what I'm wondering, is whether other religious leaders and figures and authorities have their own mindset in that space. And I think you were extremely generous. Not obviously, and I'm, I'm not generalizing with all forms of, of religion and all forms of, of people who have expressed a concern around money, um, you know, and religion mm-hmm. during COVID-19. But I think you're very generous for saying that it boils down to, you know, simply maintaining and sustaining the livelihoods of, of ministers and those who work for the church. I think for some people, it's a get-rich-quick scheme and uh, COVID-19 is a massive, massive inconvenience to that. But really, I, I appreciate your time and I think it's a very measured uh, point of view that you have on it because ultimately, as much as we would like to pray this thing away, um, let's be real. The science uh, proves, and unfortunately, as you said, taking Bloemfontein is but one small example. Um, this thing here is is quite serious and can, can cause serious problems for human beings who gather in large crowds, uh, even in the name of religion. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Gershwin. All the best. That was for Father Anthony Egan. Um, he's the ethicist at the Jesuit Institute. I just absolutely loved that, uh, that conversation because ultimately doesn't this always boil down uh, to people arguing and turning around and saying, but, you know, because we lack faith, because we don't have faith, because we're not turning to God, we're not going to the churches. This is why this uh, melody has befallen us. Very interesting perspective indeed. I really enjoyed that conversation. Looking up at the time, uh, 16 minutes to go before we get to 10 o'clock. Up next, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Solly Crock, um, a, 90, uh, a 91-year-old veteran who will raise 108 million rands to feed the hungry. What an amazing story. That up next.